0: I reject rejection. I get up when it's tough, faster. I don't necessarily wish that things were easier. In some ways, it would be great if it was easier, but mostly it's just the way you handle things. Handle things better, preparing better, reacting faster and smarter. I call it resistance mode. I become a machine. Now I step into execution
1: voice you just heard is the amazing and inspiring Andy Janti. As a Cutco sales rep, Resistance Mode has helped Andy notch achievements such as a 100k push period and over $4 million in career sales, placing him number one all time in the three regions of Vector East. But Andy is even more well known for his service to others. In Vector, He has mentored and inspired numerous other reps, including six Silver Cup winners. Outside Vector, Andy is actively involved in Angel Wings International, where he and others strive to bring medical care to the underserved people of Haiti. Andy has spent most of his life serving others, so when it became necessary for him to receive a life-saving kidney transplant, it's no surprise that his friends came out by the dozens to see if they could help. In this special episode, Andy shares stories from his Cutco career, angel wings, the transplant, and even some push period tips. This episode is hosted by Andy's friend and fellow vector legend, John Kane. This one has been a long time coming and it'll be worth the wait. This is Andy Janti. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode.
2: Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is John Kane. I'm guest hosting today, and I have the privilege and honor of being with Andy Jonti. Andy is a dear friend If you know Andy, you know that he is radically sold out uh, to helping others. He has built a life in service of humanity, and uh, we are honored to have him as one of the esteemed founders of the Cutco CSP program. At nearly $4.5 million in sales, it speaks a lot to his dedication and commitment over essentially two decades in our business. Andy, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you today.
0: Thanks, Johnny. I'm very happy to be here and honored as well. Thanks for having me.
2: So Andy, share with us how it all started. How did you begin? What are some of the roots? Are there any stories or experiences from your early days with Cutco? And uh, if you want to just give us a little bit of background on you, help our listeners get to know Andy a little bit. How did it all start? Well, you
0: know, this the story is is actually kind of like a fun one. I came back from a month vacation with two of my best friends back in August of 2001. And I had never had a job before. And so, you know, it was kind of like this point where I only had one year left of college and all my friends and I were talking and I said, I should probably do an internship. And so the first day of class, I actually saw the poster on one of the boards and it said internship experience and that's kind of what grabbed my attention made the phone call told them that i was looking for something for next summer they convinced me to come right away she was an amazing receptionist (laughs) and uh, when i got there i fell in love with the knives and they said i could start part-time and that's what i did
2: wow so first job ever with katka pretty cool when you think about those early days of selling Cutco, what was your experience getting started? Uh who were some key people who helped you on the journey and any stories to share with the listeners that when you think back on moments where you say wow, that was an important moment, that was an important experience.
0: When I think back to the beginning here, I started in Miami with Kevin Fishkine and so, you know, he is he's probably the first person that obviously impacted me in the, in the business directly. He taught me loyalty. And, you know, I think that's that's a very important thing. He always had my back. I had his back. I think part of my fun stories is moving to Maryland and following him to be an assistant manager and starting from scratch. And we were like number one in the entire region and just uh, just developing that discipline that we had over there. And just the craziness of running an office in another place. I had never lived in another place before up North. I would experienced snow. And so for me, it was, it was much more beyond business. It was like a life experience.
2: Well, so how long was the transition for you from being a sales rep into management? And, um, how did that first summer selling Cutco go? We've got a lot of new people starting with us here in the upcoming weeks. And, uh, would love to hear. I don't even think I know your story of what it was like in the very beginning. Uh, fast start, first summer. How was that?
0: So my fast start only sold 1800 bucks. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so $1,800. But then I persevered. And through Kevin's help, it was just one of those things. I'm just going to keep working. And I did uh, Thursday night phone jam and Sunday night phone jam, and that was it. And that was like the commitment that I made to him. I'm like, you know, my life outside of the business, this was really a part-time thing for me. So it was more about just staying active. So I did that, but ended up being the number one rep in the office for for the fall, which by the way, my first summer wasn't until three years into the business really, because I started on September 1st. So I was a fall baby. And then I became an assistant manager, head assistant manager the following summer. So no training, but I'll never forget. Kevin said, hey, the two other assistant managers are not FSM. So if you want to be a leader, get to FSM. And that's what I did. I did it one week earlier that we set out to do it. That was such an awesome moment uh, for both of us reaching 25 grand at the time. And then I moved to Maryland. And so that was 2002. I was an assistant that summer, went back, graduated from college. And then I went back again to Maryland branch. And that's when I met uh, Jeff Gamboa, who was uh, the DVM. And I was his first number one branch ever. So that was quite, quite a journey. And uh, after my branch uh, is when I started to, to think about selling. So that was three years pretty much into the business.
2: Wow. I'm so glad you shared that, Andy. When you think about it, the path to management and the path to getting that type of training as a young person, it's powerful to consider. And within a very short period of time, it sounds like through some just consistency and good habits like getting on the phone, setting appointments, setting a goal that you're targeting, you were able to work your way into a lead management position. And then within another year, We're running a branch office this summer. For many of you who may not be familiar with the branch program, it's when a student or someone who's newer to selling can train to open an office for a four-month period of time and uh, really run their own operation. So you did that and it sounds like you had some great results and also sounds like the opportunity to work with Jeff Gamboa early on. What was that like?
0: It was contagious. You know, he is one of the most charismatic people that I know, period. And, you know, one of the things that I love about Jeff is that he uses his talent. You know, he's charismatic, he has a lot of energy and uses that. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned the most from Jeff is using your talent. But he's awesome. It's just uh, lots of energy, lots of results, and great culture when it comes to. To working with Jeff.
2: So when your management experience concluded, you mentioned it wasn't really for a couple of years till you were really committed to selling full-time. Was there a point where you thought about doing something else? What were your aspirations before Cutco? What were you thinking about doing with your life before you started working here? And how is it that you made a decision to stay? Uh, and again, we all think of you as one of the founding members, again, of the CSP community. And uh, many people aren't even aware of that management foundation. But when did that happen for you to, to realize you were going to stay and you were going to sell Cutco?
0: Oh, that's such a fun question. Well, we'll go back a little bit. When uh, before Cutco, my, my goal, my schooling was management information systems and finance. Now, I have to say that wasn't necessarily always my dream. I always wanted to be uh, an engineer, so that's really what what was the plan when I was growing up. I to changed my mind right before college and I dabbled into accounting and I had a very significant conversation with a family member who was a prolific accountant and it was it was a very, very important moment for me because i I was sharing with her she's my cousin's mother in law I was sharing with her how Passionate, I was about accounting. I was tutoring a couple of students. And, you know, she said to me, she said, I don't think you should do that. And I remember I said, but why? And she said, you need to be around people. And, you know, being an accountant is mainly around numbers. And I know you like numbers, but you need to be around people. And that was a key thing for me because I really had a lot of respect for her. And it made me think twice about what I needed to do. And I probably needed to be around people and which is, which is what has happened in the last 20 years with Cutco.
2: Wow. It's amazing to consider how mentors people come into our life and speak into our life and uh, really help us to see things from a different perspective. I can relate to that personally. There were many people in and out of Cutco that spoke into my life and one conversation could make a difference You're really someone who is renowned and known as, I feel, one of, if not one of the greatest mentors in our business. It seemed like from an early age uh, in your professional selling career, you were taking people under your wing and teaching them field training, mentoring. Even before there was a company mentoring program, it felt like you were doing that. So when did that come into place? You started selling. When was it that you realized that you wanted to be not just selling but teaching because that that is something you're still doing I know and I think it would be a great thing for people to hear about that journey and that experience. I think
0: that inspiration came from one of my reps actually from my branch office. His name is Steve Adams. he was my number three rep and after after his first summer, he got into the management program of Cutco2, even though he didn't pursue it i mentored him he sold 50 grand his second summer so 13 grand his first summer and 50 grand his second summer and he beat me by like 200 which my mom bought just for the kick of it because they wanted to do that and play tricks on me (laughs) so (laughs) it's a true story so and uh you know but that impact on him that was paying his way through college he moved to miami lived with me and my mom and that was, that was the, the light that showed me, man, I, I can actually help people. I can help people do what I'm doing and what I've done. And I think that's, that's where it all started.
2: How many people would you say you've mentored over these 20 years? It's
0: hard to say. I've had group coaching and, and one-on-one coaching. I would say it's well over 100, maybe 150 if you take the groups and personally, probably around 50, yeah, one-on-one.
2: You're, you're not likely to brag about yourself. I know you're very humble, but I think there's a few Silver Cup champions in there as well. You've literally mentored people to national championships multiple times. Isn't that true?
0: Yes. Uh, we're at number six now. The last one happened last year, which was pretty cool in 20, 2019. And I think I have a couple of mentees that are inspired to do it this year. So we're going to keep fighting for that. We love that. It represents so much, for the Silver Cup.
2: Yeah. I I just think that we are so grateful as a company for your willingness, not just to focus on your sales and what's in it for you. I've seen this many times, Andy, that you always look for things to be a win-win for everybody, for the company, your customers, yourself. And I'd like to transition to your customer relationships for just a moment. I have a memory of our conference in Dallas, where Merland, one of your, uh, if not your most famous, best customer, came and spoke about the way you worked with her can you share some of your thoughts on working with customers, your attitudes, the core values, the, your thinking about that, and what, have been, what has been your philosophy as you've been supporting your customers? What's in your heart and mind around that?
0: I think the biggest thing, I think it all starts with the belief that I have um, on the product. And I think that plays a huge role because I truly believe that everybody should have Cutco. And so with that in mind, you know, and I think they should have everything really. I think they should have the entire collection. And my philosophy directly to the clients is that I want, I love impacting people in a positive way. And I think Cutco has been one avenue to do that because it's an excellent product. And being able to share that with people, with clients, it just makes things easier. Now, as far as, you know, beyond the relationship, it's about service. Service and making them feel like they always they can always count on me. And I think, I think that's, that's crucial in my business. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you need your help, you call. Andy's there.
2: Yeah, well, that's certainly been our experience. You know, I can't even think of a time where someone has registered a concern or an issue around the service. And you think about that $4.5 million in sales, you'd think maybe something went wrong somewhere along the way. When things don't go smoothly or perfectly, what is the way that you respond to that? You know, because I'm sure it hasn't been one straight line of uh, rainbows and unicorns here. What's your philosophy with the customer? And even as you deal with challenges, when things aren't going well, how have you handled that on this incredible journey?
0: I'm glad you asked that question. I had a very strong scenario happen in the last three months, and I think that was like a very good test to that my philosophy is taking responsibility and going above and beyond and showing love to your customers. Like that's my philosophy. And I'll share the story because I think it's, it's really impacted me. It was a business gift client, which actually is a regular client of mine who I had a very like long hour conversation about business gifts back in November. He has a plumbing company and he's done gifts before, but never used Kakko And He was excited about the idea. I sent him a sample. He bought it. And along the way, I missed the approval of his logo on the knives. And they just 10 days before the holidays, package is uh, just on hold. And so I literally caught it two days before he called me. And I was trying to pass it along. And by the time he called me, I couldn't guarantee it to him, and I couldn't lie to him, and that was never, not an option. And so that's where the we're taking responsibility was. It was one of the toughest conversations i ever had with a customer to tell them, hey, I messed up. You know, it could have been easier to blame it on the company or COVID and stuff, and the truth is I had made him make the decision sooner <laughs> so we could guarantee it, and it would have made it. So long story short, I took responsibility, he was upset, but he was so grateful that I took responsibility and admitted that it was my fault. And the beautiful thing about this whole story, that didn't make me feel good enough. So I, I took, I think, about 25 gifts from me. I, bought, I brought him 25 other random things and accessories, and I told him, hey, I know this is not going to get on time, but you know, I'll just give you those, and you can just give it to your clients now and tell them that there's more coming. And he was blown away. And his wife, and they call me, they're like, absolutely not. You don't need to do that. I'm like, no, I really do. And, but long story short, the gifts actually arrived on Christmas Eve, <laughs> but, so, which is a great story. But the best part is taking that responsibility strengthened a relationship. And he actually gave me a, an amazing testimonial of the service that he received and how I took responsibility. And we're planning for this year already. And I think that's the power of taking responsibility, showing love and going above and beyond for our
2: clients. Wow, Andy. I mean, there's so much there to unpack, but I think for our listeners, you just get it. When you own it, it's a great way to clear things so you can move forward. And then sometimes things end up better than you thought. But that idea of going the extra mile, wow. If everyone out there listening and every interaction could... Internalize that tip, and when things don't go well, just don't fix it, but make it even better. Powerful, Andy. There are so many stories that I find that are significant that I know about your life. I don't even know them all, but one of the things that we've been very grateful of in the Cutco community has being able to be a witness and uh, you know at times supportive of a personal mission that you've had and. One of the things that many of you listening may be aware of is that Andy uh, was inspired by a series of events to make a significant contribution to the world. And it's the story of Angel Wings. And I'm going to let Andy tell that story today. We meet many people who say, I want to have an impact on the world. You're definitely doing that in business with your customers. You've done it in management. I know how important your family is to you and the way you show up for family and friends and mentors and your, your mentees. Can you share the story of Angel Wings with our audience, specifically the high point moments, the parts that you're proud of, some of the challenges and uh, how it all started and where it is now? So I know that I know that's a lot, but we want to get that here because in my mind, it's one of the greatest accomplishments I've ever witnessed from one of our people. Uh, and has nothing to do with selling Cutco, but it, it speaks to who you are and I think some of the things that you gained from this experience. So go ahead, Andy, share the story.
0: Ooh, there's so much. All right, well, I would say it all started before the earthquake in Haiti. In fact, it started with my relationship with my number one customer, Milan, who bought over fifty thousand dollars of Cutco. She's a super fan.
2: One customer, um, fifty
0: thousand. <laughs> yep, yeah, fifty-two thousand to be exact.
2: <laughs> that is a super fan.
0: <laughs> yes, it is a super fan. She's an excellent host, though. So it also it's also great to see. So Melanie is a a nurse by profession. Her mother has a feeding center and a church and an orphanage in Haiti. So she's always been inspired to do those things. I've known her since 2004 and in 2005, 2006, when she expressed to me that she was thinking about bringing doctors to Haiti. I kind of joined her on the sideline. I gave her an ultimate set to raise some funds. I bought some medication. And that was about it in two thousand Eight, uh, when my dad passed away, right around that time, I got to visit what she was doing for the first time. And uh, I helped a little bit. I did some translation. And that was probably one of the most impactful moment of my life because I felt like I was a doctor without being one because I was translating for the doctor. And that was probably the first part that kind of inspired me towards a mission like this. And fast forward two years later... When the earthquake happened and I lost family members, I was worried about a lot of them. Some of them made it. Some of them didn't make it. Some of my friends didn't make it. But Milan took it upon herself and brought 23 doctors to Haiti right after the earthquake. And she got stuck in Haiti. And that's really kind of like the turn of events where she got stuck because they lied to her. And they told her it was a round-trip plane ticket and it wasn't. And she's calling me literally crying and telling me that I know, you know, a lot of people. I know, you know, people that know people, (laughs) can you help me, me get out of here and get some people out? I need to have them go in and out. And I got together with her brother and also Carl Drew, who called me and kind of joined in just helping this part of it. Long story short, we got her, we got everybody out within two weeks and it was just such a powerful moment, knowing that we weren't doctors, we couldn't help the people, but we could help the people that were helping the people. <laughs> and that's that's really what it was. It was kind of like a light bulb. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, you can always make a difference. And then I took five of my closest friends to Haiti, Carl and his wife Heather, Susan Saunders, Lindsay Musser, and Noah Saunders. And we had very meaningful week. And it was actually Easter week. This is the week that we went the first time. And this is the part where the idea of the clinic came about. And it was actually on Easter Sunday when the doctors had left, but of course the Cutco friends, we all stayed a couple extra days because that's what we do. And we're having we're having breakfast and this woman comes in with all of her kids. She had eight kids. I think she came with four that day and one of them in her arms and he was dying, like suffocating. He had an asthma attack and something so simple, but she didn't have any help. Long story short, we saved the boy. We gave him some epinephrine and all of that. And that moment for all of us was just like, wow, this is way beyond what we thought we were going to do during that trip. And at the end of the day, Carl and I, over a beer, had a conversation about sharing Our experience we had while we were there with our Cutco community and this vision of building something permanent came about. Four months later, we went to uh, this amazing man called John Kane, who had some ideas and he allowed us to share with the CSP community at the national conference, the FSM conference at the time, the dream of building a medical clinic that could serve the community of Jacques Mel every day. So that uh, that dream was born. We raised more funds than we thought we were going to. And at the end, we realized that we were not alone and that we could make it happen.
2: So Andy, I think there's also some personal significance in your background of why Haiti, why this particular place. Can you share that with everybody?
0: You know, John, that's such, a good, that's such a good question because Carl and I talk about it a lot. Yes, I was born in Haiti, so there's a direct connection there. But through the eyes of those five people that I told you that I took for Easter week there, I saw something different. I, um, I saw I visited places that I had never visited before. I came from a very fortunate family. So I had never experienced that, ever. I went on in tent cities and in places where people sleep on the floor and, I mean, just experiences that were mind-blowing. And through the eyes of my Cutco friends, really, I just saw an opportunity to make a difference. I've, I've always wanted to make a big difference, but I realized that I could actually make a big difference. And join worlds and and just being that bridge of helping the people in Haiti, obviously, through through the clinic, through a project, through translating to being that bridge. But also sharing that experience with my friends from the U.S. that came and that became a very big part of the mission.
2: You know, Andy, as I reflect on the pieces of this story that I'm aware of. There were multiple fundraising initiatives. There was a retreat where we packed clothes into containers to send to Haiti. There were many, many people from the Cutco community who made many, many trips in building what ultimately is a beautiful, amazing clinic where today babies are being born and people are being treated. Thousands of people at this point have been treated. And it was built from the dirt, literally a blank spot. And that, that process happened over the period of a decade and is still happening. I think what's significant for me is when we share that you're at $4.5 million in sales, I think it would be safe to say you'd be close to $10 million if you worked all that time. But essentially, half, if not more than half of your time has spent not selling, not building your own personal fortune, but in building this clinic this mission which in many ways has defined the last decade of your life So as you think back of all the time and all the effort and the energy, how do you feel about all that at this point you know uh, the mission that's never done you know and so I've just had windows into it but uh, it's been amazing to watch so as you were as you're sitting now reflecting back, on the last decade what do you take away from that what have you learned what are you proud of what would you want to share
0: Whew, there's uh, so much i'm going to try to keep this uh good i think i've learned a lot what i always like to share with people if i could do it all over again and, and i'll start there if i could do it all over again I would have uh, found people to have done it before. And I think we could have done it a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would have gotten a mentor? <laughs> I think so. Actually, I know so. Oh. <laughs> yes, I would have. But having said that, uh, because we didn't, we learned the hard way. But we learned a lot of valuable lessons. We learned about working together as a team. And we learned about people in general and what motivates them what keeps them going as i reflect with the you know correlation of my business like you said i want to say sure i could be at 10 million dollars but the significance of what this project has meant is worth so much more than that and i'm so grateful though that i was i've been able to share that with my csp community and so many of them like you said has Have gone to Haiti over 150. And that's, for me, that's priceless. You know, everybody wants to do big things with their friends. I just have a chance to say that I have.
2: Yeah. I know that it would be impossible to thank 150 people who use their own resources, their own time, blood, sweat, and tears. Literally, many people donating five, 10, 15, 20,000 personally to. Make this happen. These are your peers, your brothers and sisters out here in the Cutco professional sales community. And uh, I just uh, I know you'd want to thank them, so I want to thank them today on your behalf, and not put you on the spot of having to thank every person individually. Obviously, I know Carl was your partner here, and Merland was. It's a beautiful thing when you think about the customer connection, the Cutco connection, and this mission and dream. I just want to congratulate you on this accomplishment and know that we are a stand for, not, not as we have been in the past, we're a stand for the future. And uh, we're just grateful, not only that you're still here, I think about it, it's like, you know, who thinks they're going to sell knives for 20 years? It's amazing. Andy, I want to take a couple moments and, and switch gears a little bit. In the past couple years, you experienced a personal challenge that was personally it shook me to the foundations of my soul. I can't imagine what it was for you as a very significant health challenge. And essentially, Andy needed a kidney transplant and has been a very healthy person as long as I've known him. But uh, as part, it's a, more of a genetic circumstance that led him to a place where he needed a kidney transplant and he needed it fast. And uh, the story is remarkable for anyone to hear. I would love you to share your story with Taylor's story. And uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Taylor was one of, one of your mentees and a, is a dear friend, but he's not correct. a family member, correct? He's not correct, public, right? So, well, you know, share with I mean, everybody.
0: That's negotiable, right? Because now, the at, this, now
2: has... <laughs> at this point, now, yes, right. So, share the story and some of the lessons and uh, moments there. I know there were a lot of high points and low points there, but what would you want to share about that experience with our audience?
0: I'd like to share, I think the first thing is the support that I received from my friends and family, especially my Cutco family, because I think everything revolved around that in many ways, because it carried me, he carried me through the whole process, the four months where it, it, you know, I felt like there was a dark cloud over me. Yes, it was a genetic thing. My dad, my grandfather, and two of my uncles died from the same thing. And it came knocking on my door just like that in December of 2018, and basically stopped my world, like you said. And so yes, I was at 7% kidney function rate. So it was urgent. Uh, I even had to start dialysis. But then it was just incredible, the support that I received all around me, like just unbelievable. And I was thinking about it this morning, how I have received 40 different dialysis treatments and just in three, three months. And out of the 40, I had visitors for 30 of them. And it was just kind of incredible in that room. I was the only one with so many visitors and it was I just didn't even have time to think that I was sick. And that, that's what I tried to tell people. That's, that's my biggest thing. It's like, we are working through this and we're going to make it. And everybody around me was that way, you know, including Carl, who moved here with his family for a month and tried to support everything. Susan, who dropped everything overnight. Uh, Susan Saunders and Carl Drew, you know, the top two that were just there all the time. We're not letting you die. <laughs> <laughs> and the things that they've done, sharing that with everybody else. So I think the biggest significance in here is the power of people in your life and the community because it wasn't just them. There's a lot of all the CSP around the country, the phone calls, the texts, and all of it, and the visitors. So that was a big part of it. But then came about getting the kidney and trying to find a perfect match because that's that's the primary thing. The better the match, the less medication, the better success, the longevity of the kidney, and all of that. And 47 people got blood tested to see if they would have at least a blood match. That's the first step. Uh, Out of those, 17 were a blood match. And the first 10 that I submitted to the Institute, the Miami Transplant Institute, out of the first 10, three of them, which were what they call most qualified got fully tested and they were all a match. So it was really kind of like a magical thing. They was like meant to be that this was going to be part of my story, but not the end of it. And so now what it led to is the perfect match which ended up being Taylor Max and you know that. And he was just one level above everybody else and, and still decided to do it, which at some point naturally he asked me, Hey, if everybody else is equal or if everybody else is a match, can you please choose them? And that was that was just a month before the surgery. And then right around my birthday, it's a significant thing the way it kind of happened. Because he told me probably end of February, if there's somebody else that's, you know, a match, please choose them. And then three weeks later, I guess how, as far as reflection or whatever inspired him, and he came and said, hey, I think I'm going to be the best match, but I just want you to know, regardless, I'm committed. If I'm good to give it to you, I'll do it. And that's more significant to me than so much more of that because he chose to do it. And he chose to do it before he knew that he was a match. and so. I'm going to get emotional on that one. Yeah, Um, (laughs) me too.
2: (laughs) Oh, the love to be able to literally make a living sacrifice, you know, to know the risks and to step into that gap. It's amazing. And to think that, you know, the story started, you know, where you probably thought, This is a guy I'll mentor. This is a guy you were helping, right? This is a guy you were helping along the journey. Probably in your mind, there's never a moment where you think, "Hey, someday I'm going to need his kidney." (laughs) That's not even that's not the kind of thing you normally think about, you know? Wow. I'll I'll tell you something else, and I think
0: because that's kind of fun for anybody to to know. In fact, to your point, in the beginning, you know, he joined my show team. He was on my show team before. He was my mentee. He was on my show team for three years before, and I actually called him the least reliable person on my show team. <laughs> you can ask. <laughs> uh, you can ask everybody else. I'm like, uh, yeah. If you need something, don't go <laughs> oh, oh, there.
2: How funny great.
0: is that? Right? That's
2: yeah, unbelievable. Oh. You know, life has a funny way of surprising us and people have a way of growing and evolving and learning. And many times I think we've all been able to learn here through this Cutco journey is that there's more than we think there is. And if we give time for people to grow and evolve and change, uh, we might just get their kidney at some point. So, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, well, what was that moment like the day of, as you were, I remember vividly. There was a fundraiser going on right up until the last second, and there was all types of things. Uh, there were Angel Wings donations happening at the time of the surgery. Like you had found a way to leverage the uh, kidney transplant as a way to support, just uh, you know, Taylor and Angel Wings. It was it was amazing. But what's that day like when you you know it's the day and you're going under the knife and uh, you you're going to sleep and when you wake up life's going to be different. What was that like? Honestly,
0: I am I'm very grateful that when that day came, I kind of surrendered and I you know in my mind it was more whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. I think the entire time in the morning. I was more worried about my family and friends. I think there were somewhere around 15 people at the hospital between my family and his family and my Cutco family. I remember thinking, I'm worried about them. If I don't make it, I just know how, how sad my mom was going to be. And, and I was just, that God gave me strength to fight and to, to think positively. I really did think that I was going to make it on the other side, but I was prepared not to. I kind of said my goodbye and I know it's kind of funny but I just thought maybe this is it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just wanted to be prepared, right? But the truth is that I was surrounded by so much love and so much support. I just knew that I was going to make it. Like it was just going to be a straight line to just just getting better. And that really was because of the people. I sat there, I was laying down and I remember right before I closed my eyes and um, when they gave me the, the medication that makes you slowly fall asleep, I remember thinking, I hope that I've impacted enough people to continue my vision, to continue bringing people together. That was my only hope. My hope that some people listened, some people felt it, some people knew that they could keep going, bringing people together, because that's one of my missions, bringing people together, bringing worlds together, helping people. And that was my biggest hope
2: yeah andy sometimes in life a person has to die or has to have you know the experience you know they get honored after they're gone you've had the experience of in tragedy like the hurricane with angel wings and through this of being able to see who shows up and i can i can relate to that personally that when you think about how you've invested your life and you look at how rich you are it has nothing to do with what's in a bank account but it's all of these wonderful people and I often think like, what if I had never taken the job selling Cutco? Very similar to you. You know, I worked a construction job with my dad. I never really had a job either. And I wonder what life be like without all these wonderful people in my life. And you don't remember the awards and the accolades and the you, you remember them, but then it's a lot less meaningful than the people. And I think you've done a great job honoring that today. Andy, is there anything else you'd want to say before we trans into a little biz conversation about the experience with your kidney or Angel Wings? Is there anything that feels incomplete around that, or do you feel good about it?
0: <laughs> I feel good about it. I would say Angel Wings is, has probably been the hardest thing that I've ever done, and still today, but also the most rewarding. It's just been so amazing. It's hard to have everything in one experience, and I feel like it's close to that. Because being able to help people, being able to help people from where I'm from, that's the plus. Being able to help people from the U.S. and Canada have an experience that they may never have because they may have never trusted somebody to go to a third world country with them. And that is so amazing. I've had often people tell me that they have an extra trust for people to have traveled because they understand the world differently. And and I share that. And I'm just really glad that I've been able to bring that to others, even though they're the reason I did it in the first place. That's the funny part about it. My friends in the U.S. are the ones that inspired me to do this. But then in turn, I think that this experience has impacted them as well. And I'm very grateful for that.
2: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Andy. And uh, thanks for sharing some of these stories and some of these insights You know, we haven't focused a lot on your skill and expertise as a professional. We've talked about the customer piece of this, but I just want to acknowledge a couple of things. I've literally watched you build, be the reason entire programs have built. I think specifically about the way you supported the evolution of our current federal program. Many people may not know that your role as a leader and mentor and supporter as you were working with Keith Hamilton, from my perspective, is the reason we have that today. Now, certainly Keith has played an amazing role, Dr. Mom and others, but I think you are really the glue. And what was amazing to me is you got that thing to a place where it built and was thriving. And then just as about the big time, the big payday was about to hit when others Cashed in on your work, you stepped away and came to us and said, I'm ready for a new mission. I want to build the business gift program. And I remember thinking, I even sat you down and said to you, What are you doing? (laughs) Like, what is, dude, this is massive. And, you know, I think the mission for you has always been more important than the money. And uh, it's something I'm so grateful for. Now you're helping us build the biz program. Last year, when we were all going through the pandemic, you were in, obviously, based on your health dynamic and recovery mode, you were totally locked down. And I was shocked to see that in the month of August, you had, if not the best, your greatest, one of your greatest push weeks ever, over $100,000 sold in such a short period of time. I mention this because in a couple of weeks, we've got the biggest push of the year for the CSP community. And people always ask, well, how do you do it? How do you get it done? What's the mindset? What's the thinking? Would you share for our internal Cutco family, your mindset about taking on a $100,000 push virtually, and how you did that? And just, I know you've shared some of this before, but I'd love you to share for our people your thoughts as you know you gear up for another record breaking push, which you've done time and time and time again. What What is the DNA of that? What is the fabric of that for you? So, I
0: would say you kind of asked me the reasons behind it, too. I think, well, obviously, I had the health challenge. So, for me, I'm a little bit more sensitive to finding different ways, but it kind of relates to what you're saying. I think there's a lot of missions to have. I think that our company has so much more to offer. Our product is such an amazing avenue to build big things. And so, to speak to, the federal program and moving to another project, there's just more work to do, John. And I think you share that. You know, there's there's more work to do. And yes, the money is great, but the money will come. I, I'm never worried about that. The fun in building and developing and creating things that's never been done before, that excites me. And I think that's part of the reason transitioning into the push. I did have my best push ever by like two grand. It was 104. That's it right there, right? Doing something that's never been done before, showing to people that are scared at the moment that what's possible. That for me is fun. I mean, I'm gonna use the word fun because really that's what I think. It's a challenge that's that's so much more fun than than retracting and folding. I think that's my mind behind it is breaking through the barriers, showing others um, what's possible, taking on some of them on the journey with you and hopefully that you know takes more people with them too. So all of that just makes it makes it amazing. Does that answer your question?
2: Yeah, I think it gives some insight. You know, I guess hard is having to get a kidney transplant. Hard is building a medical clinic. Hard is losing friends and family in a hurricane. That's hard. Hard is losing your dad at a young age. You know, and I I've watched you handle hard over and over again. And so it's interesting how you view what most people view as hard as fun. And so I find that an interesting observation that hard is fun for you and loving the idea of being on a mission. It's remarkable, Andy, to reflect back on these many years. If you were going to give anybody, any of your mentees or anybody new, as they maybe are entering this push in May for the first time, are there a couple tips you would give to someone of how to have a great push? And, a, and not a full-blown speech, but what are the core things you focus on when you're in that push?
0: Well, to be honest, before the push is probably more important than during the push. I think that's, that's what it is for me. That's what has gotten me to those results. It's the preparation. And the preparation, it's never too late and it's never too early. And that's that. That's the first thing. I think if people release themselves from that. Oh my gosh, I should have planned earlier. It doesn't matter. You are where you are. Let's make the best of it right now. So I think that preparation is probably the most important thing. This is, in some ways, today is April first, twenty twenty one. As we reflect on this, maybe years from now, this is the best time for selling cutco because people are in their houses a lot more. And so when I realized that after taking a couple months off in the beginning of COVID, I realized it would I would be a fool to sit down and just do nothing because I need to be in front of people to capture that business and help them and make their lives better. I know that I've experienced and appreciated the Cutco product more than I ever have like literally in 2020 it was the highest appreciation i've ever had with a product cuz i've had to cook <laughs> literally and so i think the first part is understanding that the business is there the people have the need and you just need to get in front of them so when you have that in mind and there's an abundant amount of people waiting to buy cutco right now and i think that's where it starts right that belief that the business is there. The second thing I would say is definitely preparation in your systems. For me, I know I'm gearing up with for a couple, there's this push, there's the next push, and I'm gearing up every day, I make a little dent on what needs to happen for the push. And usually it starts with marketing and a plan, a plan to reach out to my customers, a plan to get referrals, a plan to service people. And so I think the plan, the belief is first, the plan is second. And then really, when it's during the push, it's all about execution. I become, I call it resistance mode. Don't ask me where I got the name from, but that's my word. I hold on to it. I'm in resistance mode. I become a machine. Like I literally, that's how I feel. I'm like, I've already done the preparation. I've already done everything else. Now I step into execution. And one of my favorite books is The CEO Within. and. It's like I treat my life and everything like a CEO, but I am the CEO and I'm also the employee. And so the CEO is the one that prepares and thinks and all of that. And then during the push, I become like the executor. And I just stay active and keep going and keep going. And just, I think the biggest thing is the desire to know what's possible. And so... I just keep going. It doesn't matter. I reject rejection. (laughs) And uh, I get up when it's tough, faster, because that's where the secret is, is getting up faster. And I always tell myself, you know, I, I don't necessarily wish that things were easier. In some ways, it would be great if it was easier. But mostly, it's just the way you handle things, handle things better, preparing better, reacting faster and smarter. And then anticipate the worst and be prepared for it. and react right away. So for me, I think it's about that, during the push. It's about execution.
2: Wow, I think if you heard that, you've got a lot to start with. and I think that mindset of keeping going and you know not wishing things to be easier. <laughs> ah boy, just absolute gold, Andy, not surprising. We have covered a lot of areas, and if people were to know you as I do, they would know that there's even so much more. So grateful for these many, many years in service of humanity. Uh, you honor Cutco, your customers, the, your CSP community, and the way that you show up. Especially grateful for this tremendous work you're doing in the area of business gifts with John cloby and been amazing to see you working with Steve Spry and our Amy Peterson and our biz team uh, as just out there. I found it really funny this year I called to talk to you about your consulting arrangement with us. And you didn't want to talk about it. You wanted to talk about angel wings and how could we, you know, support more fundraising. And obviously, you know, we will continue to do that. But I just think it's funny that when we try to talk to you about you, you bring us to another mission, and I look forward to another 20 years together of <laughs> building, growing. I'm glad you're still alive, I'll say that. But I, I wonder how many people can think about how much they of life they've packed into 40 years, you know? And you may have already packed 80 years into 40. <laughs> 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 and that's awesome it's gonna be amazing to see what's ahead. Excited for that. Thanks for your time today. And I just wanna acknowledge you for making time and taking time to share. It's been a lot of fun, brother. Uh, Wishing you every good thing. God bless you.
0: Thank you. We meet ridiculously incredible humans, Dukako, and I'm very grateful for that. Thank you for having me today.
2: Wow, everyone. So cool to spend time with Andy today. And I think uh, if you're listening, whether you're an alumni, whether you're new with Cutco, whether you're a CSP or just someone out there in the world, so powerful to reflect on the life of service, a life radically sold out to supporting others. And I think about Andy's journey. It's really a light for us all to see what's possible when our mission. Is bigger than our goals. And I'm just reflecting on this time and so grateful we have people like Andy and others that are up to big things in the world and that somehow Cutco and Vector are able to be part of that story. Many people ask me, why have you stayed here all these years? And if you listen to this podcast, you know why. It's because. These are not just people we work with. They're our people. And I am just uh, grateful to Dan Cassetta for the opportunity to host today and excited for all of you to have the year and the summer of your dreams as we all climb and build toward great things together. Be well, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, Please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device for access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources. Visit changing You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast and to support our podcast sponsors. Visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.